Well, people, what is happening? Welcome back to another episode of Josh Talks. This week on the podcast, we have Matt Bonner. Matt talks about his career in MMA, you know, why he started fighting, what led him to that, you know, his career as a professional fighter, changing something that most people do as a hobby in their professional career. And then not only is he a professional fighter, but he's also a world champion at Cage Warriors. We talk about how much that title meant to him at Cage Warriors, winning that belt against Frederick. We talk about him defending this belt in December. Um, I believe that when I was recording this podcast, he couldn't say too much about it because it hasn't been announced yet by Cage Warriors. But a few weeks ago, it was announced that he's going to be fighting mid-December. So make sure you check that out. You can find out more about that on his Instagram page or Cage Warriors. Um, you can find the fight on Fight Pass. I think it's like five ninety nine for the, the month or something. So make sure you check that out. Um, the following week, we have Ulster great Luke Marshall talking about his career in an Ulster shirt. You know, what memory stood out for him, his debut, playing for Ireland, playing with so many great players. So make sure you check it out. Another thing I want you to do for me is make sure you're following me on social media at Josh Talks. It really helps. So that's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Make sure you hit that follow button. Uh, make sure you hit the follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave me a wee review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the podcast grow. So thanks. Let's begin. Welcome to Josh Thomas. Well, mate, it's great to have you on. How's the form? How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks, Paul. Like working towards this uh, Cage Warriors December card at the moment. We're kind of about six weeks away from that, so getting stuck into the training and, and preparing as well as I can for that. I don't know if you're allowed to say, but have you got a, an opponent lined up? Or I think it was confirmed today. Um, no, I, I'm not allowed to say until Cage Warriors release it, but yeah, it's been confirmed today. Um, I don't know myself if it's going to be the Friday or the Saturday because it's um, it's a double this time. It's not a trilogy. It's, it's two shows over two days, but hopefully kind of back end of this week or some at some point next week, the, the fight announcement will be, uh, be confirmed. So I have one of your teammates on, uh, Nathan Fletcher, a while back. Obviously, it was a disappointing result for him last time out, but I thought he he performed very, very well up until he just got caught. He did, and, you know, I'm I'm nearly 31 years old. Nathan's 23. You know, he's 23. He's kind of been a professional for two years, I think. He's got an awful lot of time to to get that fight back and to to be Cage Warriors champion and and move on to the UFC. Um, You know, he's... And he knows that himself. He's very well put together, Nathan. He trains hard, and he's mentally very prepared as well so it's only it's a minor setback and he'll, he'll be back better than ever I'm sure I'd say from having Nathan on one of the things I would say stands out about him is he's such a lovely guy really really sure sweet person yeah he is and the, the, the same as everyone in next gen to be fair they're all nice characters but yeah Nathan uh, especially he's, he's a nice guy and he's very focused and he knows what he wants and he knows what he needs to do to get there and like I say, it's a minor setback. He'll, he'll learn from that loss. And I imagine he'll be fine again early next year. And I'm sure he'll put a lot of wrongs right in that fight. So tell me about how did your journey first start in MMA? Well, I, I first initially started uh, Thai boxing when I was 10 years old. I've got a twin brother as well. So we both started together. He's he's a professional Thai boxer now. He's um, at a very high level. He's like one of the best in the UK at his weight class. So we started when we was 10 and then did kind of like five, six years of, of, of Thai boxing. And then when we was about 17, we, we moved to uh, moved to May and 
We was at the the, the Wolf Sledge in, in Widnes. That was when Michael Bisping was there and Rampage had just arrived as well in Czech Congo. So it was kind of like a kind of I suppose like the start of the big kind of surgence of MMA in the UK. Um, we was at Wolf Sledge for a few years and then unfortunately got burnt down and we moved on to other gyms and stuff and. I eventually found my way at Next Gen, and yeah, since then my career's, you know, it's, it's gone, has gone really well, and I managed to pick up that cage Roy's belt. What had you do in Thai boxing at ten? Was it just something that maybe your parents were involved in, or was it just an interest? Or well, there were there's kind of two reasons. Um, initially, kind of we was playing football at the time, and and the club uh, disbanded, um, so that kind of it was either a case of try something else, or 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 carry on and, and find another football team. Um, we, we kind of me, me and Dan, twin brother Dan, we, we live in like a, we live in Warrington, and at the point we lived in, I guess what you'd say was one of the rougher parts of Warrington. So it kind of made sense, I suppose, from a mum's mum's point of view to get in there and learn some kind of self defence. And um, it ended up being Thai boxing, but it could quite have easily have been judo or karate or anything like that. It was just there was a a Thai boxing advert in the newspaper, and and, and that's how we uh, we found our, ourselves to to try that first. Forgive me, ignorance here, but see, Thai boxing, would it be sort of very similar to Muay Thai or is there a slight difference? Yeah, it's the same. I'm just terrible at saying Muay Thai. (laughs) I could never pronounce it properly, but um, I get told off for saying that quite a few times. Thai boxing, I I think, is is the same as Muay Thai. Have you ever been over to Thailand yourself and seen the gyms out there? Yeah, I've been twice. Um, First, I went to Thailand for a month and that that was just a vacation. That was just over there doing a little bit of travel and whatnot. And the second time I went over there with a with a couple of friends and, and trained over there for ten days uh, in Bangkok. And yeah, it was a, we had a great time. It was it's, it's a great place. Um, Bangkok's a little bit of a dump. I think even the Thai guys would you know the Thai nationals would say that it's it's just a, a big built up uh, city. But the islands are great if you want a vacation and say the gyms there are phenomenal for the Thai boxers. It's crazy, man. I've had a quite a few people on from Tiger Muay Thai, like a few of the coaches and a few of the fighters. And it's mad how much of a, a hub that is for fighters around the world, like the amount of people that actually go there from different parts. Yeah, it has. It's become like the big destination, hasn't it? Say so you've got Tiger Muay Thai and Phuket Top Team and whatnot. Um, I never went to any of those gyms. I went to Yokka, where like Sanchai was based. It was Sanchai's and, and Singdam's gym. But yeah, as it's become, I know Peter Yan and Shevchenko and whatnot, they'll, they'll train at Tiger Muay Thai and it has kind of become that destination of, of like um, almost like an MMA training holiday, I suppose. Yeah, so I, I would know John. So John Hutchinson would be Peter Jan's boxing coach. Right, okay. But, but he's a weird-out story, so he's actually from Ireland. And right, like he, okay. He, he was boxing professionally over here, bo- boxing over in Australia, and he just went over to like a holiday in Thailand, and he started holding pads for a couple of guys just while he was on holiday. They started calling him coach. Next thing he knows, he was offered a job, and then that was just him. That was just him there. Yeah, it is. You kind of get these things, don't you, in life where one thing will will kind of branch off, you know, in a different direction. And no, but that he's you know counts his blessings that happened at that time, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you ever seen it. There was like a documentary on Netflix, and it was the guy out of the Avengers. And it's crossbones out the Avengers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it was um he went over to Thailand and he was seeing all the kids fighting. How mad is that? Like the amount of fights that those kids have. Yeah, I mean you've got kids who are kind of 150, 200 fights deep into the career and about 15 year old or even you know even younger. And it's the it is it's the culture over there, but it's not something that I kind of 
I accept. It's always the culture and it should be, it should be. It's the way it is. I, I still think it's a little bit twisted, but I mean, the kids, the problem is the kids are earning more money than the most of the adults, the kids, for whatever reason. Thai boxing in, in Thailand rolls very you know, strongly around the gambling side of it. And for whatever reason, the gambling is more prominent in, in, the, in the kids fighting. So, you know, these kids are winning these fights and earning more than the mum and dad do in six months. So obviously these kids are going to be, you know, pushed to fight. And you know, maybe some of them want to do it, maybe they don't. But I don't really, I can't really agree with full contact sport, you know, in terms of taking headshots and whatnot when you're 12 years upwards. I think it's a bit foolish. Yeah, seeing it, it's like uh, the first round you sort of have to give away over there. We're sort of yeah, no one we- really does anything at the odds in. Yeah, this is this is the odd thing. I mean, this is quite. I don't really understand it very well, but obviously my brother and his coach are, are, are you know on the ball. But the first two rounds in tie boxing isn't even scored. It's not, you know, unless you knock your opponent down in the first two rounds, it's it's a bit of a non-round. You know, it's the it's the rounds three, four, and five, which are the big rounds. I believe it's the fourth round, which is the heavy betting round. Um, but I might mistake that for the third. It's the third or the fourth. But yeah, the first two rounds don't really mean too much in terms of tie. That's why you'll see the pace of the first two rounds is very slow. They're kind of easing in. Even the kind of, I don't know if you've heard the, the time music, the pipe music behind is, is quite slow yeah. and rhythmic. And then as the fight continues, it gets faster and faster and faster. The pace of the fight is supposed to increase with the pace of the music. So it's, it's, a, it's quite strange in that respect. It's, it's quite um, the point scoring system in terms of boxing and, and, and low kicks or anything like that doesn't score any points. It's, it's the body kicks and and the knees and the elbows and, and showing effect. That's what that's what scores points in Thai boxing or Muay Thai. Is it the exact same in the UK where the first two rounds they, they don't score anything? That's just yeah, it should be. It should be. Um, but some of the organizations kind of almost score it. It depends what referee and what judges you've got. But traditionally, and on the you know, the bigger the better shows, whether that's uh, Mutai Grand Prix or Super Showdown or something like that, they will score it the same. It should be the first two rounds are say easy, kind of working out your opponent, and the next three rounds are the heavy, you know, um, point scoring rounds. So is it just sort of like a, a gentleman's agreement for the first two rounds? Yes, so, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think the idea is, you know, if, if I go hard in the first two rounds and I don't knock you out, then you're going to smash me for the next three and score plenty of points. In my brother's last fight, he was fighting for a European title and uh, Dan came out really strong, almost too strong in the second round, gassed himself out, but then he, he managed to kind of bring it back in the last three and score plenty of points and and wipe the guy out just, just by scoring points. Um, so it's, it's not really... All these big knockouts and whatnot, it's very much cultured round, point scoring, show and effect, clean techniques. You know, a sweep won't score unless it's like a really nice, clean, elegant sweep. Um, a low kick definitely won't score unless like it really shows effect. You know, punches will only score if you drop your opponent. It's all based around the body kicks and anything above the waist, really, in terms of kicking and knees. So when you were 11, 12 years old, were you allowed the elbow then if you were competing? No, we weren't even. I mean, in Thai boxing, there's, there's certain kind of classes of, um, in terms of, so you've got N class, which is shin pads and no elbows, and you move up to C class and B class and A class. A class is full tie rules. So that's elbows, that's knees to the head, um, that's full, you know, the full shebang. B class, I believe, is kind of elbows, but with elbow pads, not knees to the body. And like I say, as you go down, you know, to N class would be kind of one up from an inter-club. So that would be like shin pads, full contact in terms of, you know, you are trying to you are trying to win the fight. 
but it's um, there's there's not the apparent danger of taking elbows and knees to the face and, and whatnot. And like I say, there's that little bit of protect, protection with the shin pads. Have you ever seen the other bikes for that left way? I haven't. I've watched some of it. Yeah, it's it's that's yeah. even uh, it's even more brutal. Yeah, it's the headbutts and kind yeah. of like rope hand wraps. But yeah, that's it's it's a brutal sport. It is like left way is probably. I, I guess you would say it's kind of similar to, to bare knuckle boxing in the UK, but obviously with the you know the added components of headbutts and I believe like if you get dropped as well or knocked out, you can you get a two minute break or something like that. So it's bizarre, it's very strange, brutal rules. Yeah, same. I don't know if he's can. I think he's maybe Canadian, the guy who's number one in the world. Yeah, I can't remember his yeah. name. His name's Liver. Same. I can't remember his name, but he's kind of like the I suppose like the Liam Harrison of of Letway, I suppose. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy watching that sort of stuff. That's mad. So I remember I was listening to one of your interviews, and I think it was after the the Frederick fight, and you were saying afterwards you sort of saying the big transition for your career was moving to the next gen. What what caused sure, you to move yeah. to the next gen? Well, it was it was a bit of a funny one. My, my kind of early career, it was it was I was very naive and misguided, and I was kind of you know I had a full time job and. I was kind of uh, surrounded by coaches um, who, who they had full time jobs as well. So you had guys who would, you know, work in, I can say, full time job, eight to ten hour job, but then maybe they'd do a couple of hours, you know, coaching in the evening and whatnot. And that's that. That's not you. You need a coach to be kind of fully invested. You know, the coaches at Next Gen, they're there in the mornings, are there in the afternoons, are there at night time. Once they get home, they're watching, you know, YouTube videos and and educating themselves on other techniques. So the main reason really was to kind of you know get around coaches who were who were world class um, or wanted you to be world class as well, and just just essentially make it more professional. I mean, the kind of the last maybe like three or four fights of, in fact, probably all of them before I went next gen was essentially me for the most part, kind of coaching myself. And and like I say, it sounds very foolish saying that now, but at, at the time, you know, I was. Maybe not as consistent as I wanted to be, but I was still I was still winning. I was still going to cage race fights and winning. So it was never really felt like a need to move on. Um, I took two losses, one to Matt Madsen in Denmark and then one to Maddis Flemenas in the UK. And even before the Maddis Flemenas fight, I knew it was time then to step up and, and move to next gen. And I did try another gym before that, but I kind of I just fitted in next gen more and felt they had more to offer than than, than the other one did. How did you actually find the the transition? Did the coaches that you had before sort of understand that you wanted to, to progress? Were they very supportive of that move? Or uh, it, it's it's quite um, it's a strange one. It is a strange one because like there's always this kind of there is this kind of betrayal kind of thing of oh you can't leave me to go elsewhere. It was it, it was never really kind of said like that, but it was almost like. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. For instance, you know, I, I had my brother and a good friend of mine cornering me for the Cage Warriors fights. And then the old coach would say, but I thought I was cornering you. And, and the idea is he, he, he'd only say that because it was a big show on Cage Warriors. Before that, he never had an interest in cornering. So it was, it was a case of, you know, I don't really want to coach you at a low level, but now you're getting somewhere. Now I do want to coach you. But like I said, it, it, it was time then for me to move on and, and be surrounded by other coaches because otherwise I'd be, you know, eight and eight or something like that and not 10, six and one. I mean, me going to next gen, I was kind of, I think I was four, five and one at the time. It took quite a while for me to dig myself out of that hole that I'd filled myself, really. I dug that hole for myself and then I had to almost dig myself out. It was quite tricky. 
how did you sort of develop your mindset as well? Because I'm sure at the time it was it was hard, you know, coming back from losses and how do you strengthen was, your mindset? Again, that's another strange one because I mean I lost the first two pro fights of my career and I almost look back now and wonder why I did carry on. You know, a lot of people and rightfully so might have said this isn't going the way I want to and and packed it in. I do kind of wonder how I had the kind of the nerve to carry on really. Um, it was the, it was after the, the, my last loss was Jamie Richardson, and I think that was probably the big, the big kind of eureka moment. I suppose you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself leading up to the fight. I'd I'd essentially lost the fight before I'd even stepped in the cage. I kind of figured, you know, oh, I'm not feeling very well. I'm not I'm not sharp. My training camp's not gone as well. And you know, really, I, I felt fine. It was just the, the mental the mental kind of coming in and. And distracting me, but after that fight, it was a case of relaxing, just trying to get back to enjoy training and stop stop putting so much pressure on myself. Um, you know, it was almost like a life or death situation losing a fight, and it, that's not it's it's too much pressure. It was too much pressure for me. Some people you know excel with the pressure, but for me, it was it, it was too much, and it would it would it would me lose because I wouldn't enjoy any of the process. So after the Jamie Richardson, it was it was a it was a, just a point of trying to relax, enjoy it, and 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 just do your best. And like I say that that seemed to have, have done the trick in terms of you know, on a four on a four fight win streak now, which is obviously a lot better than than being four five and one. So looking back, if you give yourself any advice, what would it have been? It was essentially the first one being moved to a gym that is professionally run, and this isn't me. Um, demeaning the other coach it was my decision to stay there and and kind of uh, surround myself with coaches who maybe were doing it at kind of a, a, almost like a hobby I suppose so my advice to me or you know as a youngster or anyone else would be get to a gym that you know, knows what they're doing it doesn't even need to be a gym as big as next gen it just needs to be a gym where the coaches are informed you know and they want you to do well and they're going to push you and you know a professional environment so that would be my main advice and the second part would be enjoy the process I assume most people who get into fighting are doing it because they enjoy the training and they have a passion for it if you don't start enjoying it and you don't have a passion for it anymore then it's it's gonna that's gonna reflect in your fighting and that's never a good thing so when you were actually going through this this whole process at the very very start of your pro career that you said you were working like a full-time job and all when did you actually move away from that well, I was quite lucky, really, because I, I ended up ret- um, resigning from a job. It was a, a job at a meat factory. It was just um, a horrendous job in terms of the stress and you know, very early mornings and very hard work. So I resigned from from the job. And then this opportunity came up to, to buy a gym, to, to run an MMA gym or a martial arts gym. And so me and my brother uh, invested in, in that. We uh, give up our life savings and and we built up that gym now. It kind of, uh, it's a full-time job now. So that kind of gives me the flexibility now to head to next in the mornings and then kind of do some one-to-ones when I get back and then maybe get another workout in the evening and whatnot. So that was that was the lucky break, really. It was it was buying the gym, developing the gym and developing my own fighters and say having the flexibility to to get to the morning sessions and, and the professional sessions as well. Who designs your camp for, for fights now? Would you have a full camp set up where you know exactly what you're doing every day? Yeah, so I've got an SNC coach. So he'll, he'll design uh, the SNC. That's usually on like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's Paul Reed from, from Vortex. And then um, the way kind of next gen works is every day we, we almost know what, what we're going in for. So Monday, Wednesday, Fridays is an hour of striking, an hour of wrestling or grappling. And then the Tuesday, Thursdays are sparring days. 
so you you kind of you do have an idea of kind of what you what you're getting yourself into and then obviously um you're going for jogs and you're doing SNC in the evenings and whatnot so every day it's kind of got a purpose to it and you you know what you know when you get out of bed in the morning you know what you're heading for without looking too far ahead do you think after maybe the next fight if you win that it could be a UFC call I'd like to think so um there's almost kind of been a few times where I've almost got to the UFC in terms of Kind of before the James Webb fight, I was told whoever wins the Matt Bonner James Webb fight will go on to UFC Contender Series or they'll go on to fight for, you know, the Cage Rose World title. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it went for the World title, not the Contender Series. So I kind of almost had the knocking on the door then. But I, I would like to think uh, one, uh, maybe two at the most, I'd be, I'd be, you know, heavily on the UFC radar then. Look at the guys who I've beat, you know, in the last four fights have all been you know, top guys, you know, former world champions or current world champions or guys who are on, you know, five-fight win streaks or guys like Matt Inman who'd had 31 fights. So, you know, I've, I've, I've really, they, they put me through the cage race, to be fair. I've really had to smash these guys in to, to get my shot. And I kind of, I, I figure that me winning the belt would have been enough personally. But I think the UFC, unfortunately, looking for, you know, the 21-year-old who's 10-0 and, and it takes a lot more for someone who, you know, he's 30, he's got a 10-6 and six record. It takes more than that to, to intrigue him. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Okay, you know, uh, Jimmy Wallhill, that's the name I'm trying to... Would you know Jimmy? Jimmy uh, Judo, Judo guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know of him, yeah. So I had him on the podcast, and he, he said something very, very similar to yourself. You know, he was uh, he applied for Tough back, back in the day, and they were basically like, you're far too experienced for the show, mm. so we'll put you on as like an alternate. But right, the, chance okay. of you, the chance of you getting on, very, very slim. So that didn't quite work out for him. Was fighting all over the place. Ended up getting the call to the UFC. Got the call for the UFC. He said his first fight, he lost. But he said, to be honest, right. like his, his head just wasn't, his head wasn't in it. And he then got pinged for um, a supplement. But the right, su- okay. supplement that he took, it was something that you could buy over the counter. And it was in like right. a really fine like microdose. So what had happened was he bought like a really well-known protein brand mm. and he took one of the one of the tubs, took a scoop of that, whatever, and he, he t- basically tested positive for a microdose. And um, he had to pay all of his own money to get all of his supplements tested to prove that he wasn't a cheat. Basically, because all the press back home were completely slaying them. And sure. yeah. Giving him a really hard time and... Finally, he proved his innocence and like he had done nothing wrong. It was a supplement he had to pay for like six or seven to get tested. Every single one of them came back as a microdose because it was like I think they were doing it in like a big massive vat, you know, where they were just mixing loads of stuff. Oh, to, okay, to sure, right. Okay. So, but he said like the hardest thing for him was was mentally coming back from that because he was he was like teaching kids classes in MMA and he had to go around all of the parents and explain like like listen like I haven't done anything wrong here and he says that was the worst part for him was talking to those kids' parents. When I um when I fought in Denmark, I was fighting Mark Madsen, who's like four and zero now in the UFC. Um, I'd kind of never travelled abroad before. I say never had this kind of dedicated team around me to tell me what was right, what's wrong. But I ended up kind of flying, flying out there on the Thursday, and I was weighing in on the Friday, which is madness. Now, if anybody goes to the UFC or goes abroad, they're always getting there at least kind of like a week early. But anyway, I go there and I do my best. I end up coming like a pound over in weight. And this is the first time and only time it's ever happened in my career. I came a pound over. It was like it was like 0.7 of a pound. 
and kind of Mark Madsen's team and all the rest of it, they went to um, the Denmark press and everything and absolutely just butchered me, just smashed me to, even even kind of to this day, I still get people from Denmark messaging me and calling me like a scumbag and stuff like that. But um, so that every, when I, when, even when I went in the arena, like the atmosphere was just unbelievable. So yeah, I've kind of been on the back end of that kind of negative press and stuff, and it's not really pleasant. But again, I guess I don't know if saying part of the sport's the right way to put it, but it's one of the dangers, I suppose. And it does it takes one comment from 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 one person, and you can be you know the worst guy in the world. But you say you know he, he seems to have done quite well for himself um, on Wallhead. So hopefully that was kind of like a low point, and he's he's managed to build up from that. Well, thanks. I think he's just dedicating all this time to coaching now. From what yeah, I think saying. I've got I've got Dan Hardy on Instagram, and they own the gym together. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks right, like yeah. A busy I think one of one of their their fighters fought Connor um, Connor from from Next Gen, little Connor. Um, and that was that was a cracking fight. That was at the Olympia. Yeah, it's got a win. Yeah, so I anyway, he was good. The kid was really good. Yeah, that rip again. Really, really sound guys. But to be fair, like most fights have most people have had on. That's right. But what, what do you actually think about that? So I think at the minute, do you think there needs to be more done in terms of, like, in terms of USADA, et cetera, for more, like, fighter protection? and stuff like Because I know it serves a purpose. It does serve a purpose, and it's definitely a good thing. But I think sometimes as well, it's a wee bit overburned. It, yeah, it's kind of finding that happy medium, isn't it? It's a tricky one because, you see, I, I don't know what the UFC were doing in terms of at the time when when Jimmy was doing it, but now you know they have got like kind of like a twenty four hour hotline where you can ring them and say, "I'm about to take this cough medicine or something or painkiller. Is this on the prohibited list?" And they'll be able to tell you then and there if it, if it is or it isn't. Um, so yeah, I think I guess from both sides, maybe you side can be more understanding. And the fighters at the same time are going to have to be absolutely on on the ball when it comes to. No, even like smoking cannabis, it's 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 ridiculous that like kind of being on the ban list anyway. But I mean, it is on the list, and so you need to take responsibility really for for kind of what you're putting in your own body. Even like you said, even if it's like a microdose, it's it's not fair really. But so you know, you just got to be super careful in what you're ingesting. I suppose there was there was another story. I don't know if you remember it. So it was um, coming up to I think it was Raquel Panic that was fighting, and. She talked. She talked a wee bit about it, but it was um, she was she got prescribed a medication from her doctor, and it right, was okay. it was because one of her hormones was basically up the left, mm. and her her hair and all started to fall out. Um, the sure. doctor the doctor prescribed her a medication. She took the medication, but then she pinged by USADA because apparently that medication helps you cut weight. Right. All right. Okay. She's a diuretic. I see. So she got, I think she got a six month span and she had to make a real big, you know, statement basically apologizing and stuff. And basically, like, listen, like, I wasn't trying to do anything dodgy. It was just hormones were bad. Like, from the amount of time she was trying to cut weight and then it affected her hormone levels and her hair was falling out. And it was causing her quite a lot of stress. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it's the guys who, who, who are kind of used. I mean, the idea would be, wouldn't it, is if you can you can take your medical note to the to the USADA and say, listen, this is this is what the doctor gave me. I made an honest mistake, you know. I apologise, but it it was just, you know, I just I just made a mistake because my hair was falling out or whatever. 
And you know, common sense would say that or the, the the jury would say, okay, no worries, just please be a little bit more careful next time and whatnot. But there is guys, it's like um like the Saudi France, for instance. There's guys there who are kind of, oh, we've got um asthma. And it's like you've not got asthma. You 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 you're cycling up mountains like Mount Everest. You you've not got asthma. You you you're saying you've got asthma so you can so you can use that kind of treatment, the asthma treatment, the little um whatever it does, you know, puts more oxygen in your bloodstream, whatever, you're using that to get an inherited advantage and you're using like a, you know, a crooked doctor to be able to, to do that. So it's the guy, it's the, it's the doctors and, and the guys who cheat who are going to unfortunately spoil it for everybody else. Am I right in saying that it, there was the Greg Hardy fight and it was in the middle middle of the round, yeah. Rodney and Haley took a quick pop of that and then... That's, that's crazy. I mean... I have no idea why anyone from his corner team or, or Greg Hardy would go up to an official beforehand and say, "Is this okay? Are you, are you sure that I can use this?" For them, for them not to have done that just seems madness to me. But you know, whether it's legitimate or not, you, you need to let you need to let somebody know about that. Really, did you see his fight with uh, Ty Tuivasa? I've not. I've seen bits. I think I think I saw the finish. I'm not a massive fan of Greg Hardy. To be fair, I'm quite quite enjoy watching him lose, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, I never really Ty finished him, but it was how uh, composed he was. Uh, he came out to, like the Spice Girls. <laughs> it was just a. Uh, <laughs> but he seems like he's a lot of fun. That kind of comes back to what I said before about just relaxing and doing your best and stuff. And you know, if he comes out to the Spice Girls and that you know takes the pressure off him, then that that can be like a proper you know a really good, a really good thing to do. What about? Uh, the fight's coming up at the weekend here. So you've got Jan versus Glover. How do you say it going? I think Jan will win that. I just think he's got too much power. I know Glover takes area. He, he does get dropped a lot and he seems to recover, doesn't he, and come back with a choke and stuff. But I can kind of see Jan dropping him in the first or the second round and then just just blitzing him a ground and pound. Um, I, I'd probably bet the house on that fight, to be fair. But I really like Glover as well. I kind of, I, I like the older guys, you know, being one of the older guys in the next gen and stuff. I kind of feel a bit of a soft spot for the older guys, but um, I do think Jan are just going to be too, too powerful, too strong. And he can, and, and Jan can push the pace for like five rounds as well for, for like every way to do that. That's, that's, uh, that's bonkers. Do you think having a really good gin is just something you're born with or is it something that you can condition or? I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it is something you condition. I do think genetics just play quite a large part with that. Um, but yeah, I do think you can you do kind of neck exercises and whatnot, and obviously you can build up your traps, which are going to help support your head from from smashing back. Because so obviously a concussion or a knockout is the brain slap in the skull. Um, if you've got a more stable neck, then it's less likely for that whoosh, uh, whiplash effect. I, I do think some of it's genetic, but I mean. I mean, we've seen Dan Anderson and Mark Hunt, even the guys with the iron chins, if they're not careful and take too much damage, you know, everybody everybody has the limit. Everybody's going to get knocked out eventually in this game, especially with a, you know, a little four-ounce gloves on. Yeah, Mark Hunt was definitely fun to watch, like his, the, the, walk, the walk-offs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he just, again, you talk about genetics, you know, it's power genetic as well. You see a lot of the Samoans-type guys who just have, insane kind of chins and whatnot but have massive power as well so maybe there is something to be said for these guys who are just in a, just genetic freaks I think my, my my genetics really for the most part are, 
a pretty average. I think I've got good chin, and I think I'm, you know, I'm six foot two. I'm reasonably tall, but I'm not the most athletic of guys or anything like that. Where if you think of, you know, going back to someone like Nathan Fletcher, he's very well put together, very athletic, or can move really fast and whatnot. You know, those are the guys you, you need to watch out for. Those guys who already have the advantage. You're that. De- you're definitely right. In in terms of like talking about some walls and stuff and how genetically advanced they are. Like I was. So I used to play rugby quite a bit. I remember my under twenties. We were playing against a team called Dungannon over in Northern Ireland, and uh, Dungannon didn't have an under twenties team. They only had like their senior rugby team. Their senior rugby team, I think, was all Ireland at the time. So it's pretty much I would say like it's like a, a semi professional level because it's a few of those boys begin paid, but they paid for um, a few guys that come over from New Zealand. And one of the guys was nineteen years old, and he had played for the Baby All Blacks. Right. Okay. And. Would you know much about rugby? I know I know little bits and bobs. I'm, I'm not like a massive supporter or anything, but I find the game very interesting, but I can't say I'm a massive fan. So this kid at 19 years old, he was one of their forwards, so he's one of the bigger lads. I'd say I'd, about six foot three, six foot four. I'd yes. say pushing 20 stone, at least yeah. at least 20 mm. stone. Move he, as well, though. It's, yeah, it's not how big they are. It's like you can, you can shift as well. Yeah, that's the he, dangerous part, isn't it? He was rapid. He was like, even he was running like just this bowling ball. <laughs> just bouncing off him. I've never seen anyone me, like it. <laughs> me, 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 and me and my brother, we travelled to Thailand, and then we ended up going to Australia, New Zealand, and stuff like that. And the New Zealand guys, they're kind of um, the ethnic New Zealand. They're kind of very similar to Samoans. But you, you'll have you'll have young girls there who, without being rude, they, they do they look like they play like NFL or something like that. They are just genetically ginormous. Shoulders are super wide. Just, just really built. Um, obviously, that's you know, a massive part of their genetic structure is big, solid, big, solid people. And, and kind of, they've had, especially like the Samoans and stuff, they're very massive on like processed food as well, for whatever reason. I've seen a documentary on it where the diabetes kind of, um, there's like a diabetes epidemic in, in New Zealand and Samoa and stuff, because for whatever reason, those guys love crisps and fizzy pops and stuff like that and biscuits and all the rest of it and it just kind of accentuates what they already are the big people and then they're putting you know five thousand calories in and they just explode and they're just huge 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 people i would be a big massive fan of like have you ever seen like the the all or nothing documentaries i'm not sure if i have so all or nothing it's like it's an american company and they would go around like all the biggest massive like sports franchises in the world so they normally I think it was based at the start, looking at like the NFL and then it transitioned into the ice hockey. And then you had to do, do them. Uh, they did a documentary, I think, with Tottenham when Mourinho was there and then Man City right. when Pep was there. So they, they did it all behind the scenes. But they were looking at like all like the American football players. And I was like, the I don't know what the exact term of it is, but like all the, the front row, like all the guys who stand at the front and do like the pushing and shoving. And yeah. they're yeah. like, they're like six foot five, six foot six, yeah. 300 pound plus. And you're like that. That's not normal. Yeah, like they're it's, pretty it's big. Not, they are like the, the 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 freaks of society, and I don't say it in a bad way either. But they are, yeah, the guys you you don't really want to mess with. Um, say six foot six foot four and three. Inch. We've got a guy next gen who's six foot seven, um, and he's just just a nightmare to deal with. I sparred him today and had a dreadful time of it. He was just he just can't get near the guy, and he's not. He's a light heavyweight, he's very lean and strong, but he's not like a big, thick guy. But getting past that kind of six, seven range is just just impossible. Uh, and then he's got a best mate who's six foot five, uh, six foot five southpaw. So that's not really pleasant going against those two. But 
yeah, I mean, they say genetics do play a big part. And what I do think in MMA, and, and, and especially MMA as a sport, whatever genetics you have got, you can kind of utilize them. You normally see like the top wrestlers who are, are normally the short, stockier guys. And then you've got, you know, the big, uh, taller guys who, who might use their range for striking and whatnot. So I do think it can be a little bit more of an even playing field than MMA. You just need to kind of use what you've got in, you know, in the right, the right way. Talking about wrestlers, what have you got for Gatey Chandler? Tough one. Um, yes, yeah, very, very tricky. Ch- Chandler's are. I don't think Gatey loses last fight. That was against Khabib, wasn't it? Lost the last was fight last against one? Khabib, yeah. Yeah, that's a good fight. That is a good fight. Um, I, I kind of, in terms of who I'd want to win, I'd probably say Gatey, but I can possibly see Chandler winning that just because, and I know Gatey's got a lot better technically, but I just think. Mike Chandler's a little bit more composed. His wrestling's, I say, Gates' wrestling's good though as well, isn't it? He mm-hmm. just doesn't really want to use it. That's a tough one. That's a really hard one. Like when you say kind of Jan and Glover, that's one easy one to predict. But that one is the, the Chandler Gatesy fight is so hard. They're both super tough, both very dedicated. I think Gatesy uh, trains with Trevor Whitman, doesn't he yeah, now as well? 100%, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah so that's, uh, that's a tricky one. Uh, I, I couldn't even really say there. I kind of just say possibly Chandler, but that is that is a tricky one. I think Chandler might be a top team. Mm, I think he's very good. Yeah, I mean, who was he? He was he was doing quite a bit with Henry Hooft, wasn't he? Chandler. Yeah, he's no, been yeah, with Henry yeah. Hooft. But yeah, for an awful long time. I don't know where Henry Hooft is. And I think, he, in fact, I think Henry Hooft's got his own gym, hasn't he? Now, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong at Sanford. I'm completely yeah. wrong at Sanford MMA. Yeah, because that's where Ian Gary's gone to train, I believe. Yeah, Ian Gary's went there. You have mm. Nate Marquardt. He's over there. Yeah. He's he's still at it. Um mm. trying to think. I don't think Us- no Usman's at Usman's with Gaethje, I think. Is he with Trevor yeah, Whitman? Yeah, you're right. Usman, yeah, Usman's with uh, Trevor Whitman. That's right. With Rose, isn't it? It's like the the, the three Gates C Rose and, and Usman. Uh-huh. I seen yeah. as well John Jones was let go. Miss Jim. Yeah, and I think that was only a matter of time, wasn't it? Again, that's a tricky one. I don't know what you what kind of. I never obviously experienced that as a coach when you got people coming in who are just end up being troublemakers. But um, in terms of a coach, I, I know Paul Rimmer's had to deal with this. I won't mention who because it's none of my business. The guy who's left the gym now, but it, though, though, the, the people who who kind of. Uh, getting into trouble behind the scenes and whatnot, they, they do take, they just seem to take a lot of energy out of the gym as a whole and out of the coaches and whatnot. It's almost, it's almost like you have to babysit the, you know, babysit them and look after them and make sure they're not getting into trouble and stuff. And it's just, that's not really your job as a coach. Your job as a coach is the guys come to you in the gym and you teach them how to fight and you teach them mistakes and whatnot. It's not to really get involved in the personal lives unless it's you know, something that you want to do. But, yeah, I think that was probably a long time coming. I don't know what John Jones is going to do, but you know, it's again we, we're we're going to look back at John Jones's career and say he was a you know a fantastic fighter, but he could have been a lot more. But you do tend to see this with a lot. Of, you know, you think of someone like Mike Tyson and whatnot. These guys, the, the big talented guys, the freaks that we're talking about in terms of the genetic freaks, always there's always somewhere they'll suffer. Whether that's you know maybe not physically but mentally. You know, John Jones has a pretty much a perfect career and he's got world titles and whatnot and he'd probably get the UFC heavyweight title, but his personal life's an absolute disaster zone. So yeah, you can't win everywhere. There's always there's always somewhere in your life you're gonna you know it's gonna be a little bit um a little bit untidy. Have you ever read his uh, autobiography? 
No, I've never 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 read it. I don't know if I believe it. If if uh, I don't think I believe what I'm saying or what he's saying. You no, know, if you you talk to John Jones, he's you know he's a good Christian boy, isn't he? But we all know behind the scenes, he's a he's a little bit of a, a troublemaker. Sorry, I meant I meant Mike Tyson. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, I've seen I've seen I've read the book and I've seen the uh, seen the film. He's an interesting guy, isn't he? What do you think about it? I think I, I don't see any other way he could grow up with you know with his with the circumstances he was in. You know, his mum was a prostitute, his dad was a pimp. Um, the only kind of love of affection was from you know his coach when he was a little bit older, kind of fifteen, something like that. So of course, when when you have all the success and you have you know women dropping at your feet and millions and millions and millions of dollars, you, you you're not going to be you're not going to stay civilized. You, you're going to be on cloud. You know, you're going to be up. On the on planet Jupiter, aren't you? You're going to be off your head. So that that was never going going to go any other way. He seems to have kind of found redemption now, doesn't he? He's calmed down now, and or seems to have. And he's got his own businesses and stuff. So hopefully, you know, he'll have a you know a good good uh, good stable life. But I guess okay. I mean, when you grow up in that when you grow up in that environment, you're going there's going to be some kind of damage, isn't there? I think doing the stand ups definitely helped him having that show mm. in Las Vegas. Yeah, um, having the few movie appearances and stuff. But I think the thing that I find, well, it's not hard to believe, but it's every single person in his life, bar Gus really, or Gus, the, the only person that didn't really want anything else from him. Like everyone had their hand on him. Everyone mm. wanted money over him. Like the fact that he was like someone managed to get him to sign away his rights to everything. And like, I think near the end of the book, he starts talking about having a baby and he's walking through Walmart with no money and he's wondering like, yeah. how he's going to pay it. And you're like, that is Mike Tyson. Yeah. I, and I guess he's kind of lucky in the fact that, you know, he's, he's always going to be able to do appearances and stuff like that. But, I mean, Mike, Mike Tyson's a boxer and fighters in general. We're not, we're not the sharpest tools in the box and we are kind of easily exploited and whatnot. So, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he was, you know, exploited. And, I mean, because it seemed kind of once Customato died, that kind of opened the doors for all the cretins like Don King and whatnot to, to come in and, and have their piece of him. But... Like I say, I, I imagine that happens in the film industry and in, in any of the sport organisations and whatnot. You know, even like you think of, you know, if you, you win the lottery, you know, your, your third cousin on your mum's side is suddenly your best mate and, you know, everyone wants a piece and everyone wants to kind of, uh, you know, feels entitled to, to have a piece of your success, really, even though they've, they've not contributed. Yeah, it's fine. It's, I suppose it's hard to find that balance. Like, I suppose mm-hmm. it... At the very, very start, before the success comes, you need to have a very strong, stable team around you. That's right, 100%. But, I mean, the, the problem is martial arts and fighting in general, you know, attracts people who are damaged. Um, you think of, maybe not even damaged in that way, but you think of uh, Manny Pacquiao, for instance, although he seems reasonably level-headed, you know, if you know, Manny Pacquiao got into boxing because he could make money fighting, so he could, you know, you could feed himself. Um, same with Mike Tyson he got into boxing because of a need that he, he needed to you know, release some kind of anger and repressed issues and stuff like that there's generally not many fighters who go into sport to have maybe someone like Sugar Ray Leonard who goes into who's the boxing and he's you know, he can manage himself and he's got a lawyer his manager and stuff like that and he's making his own deals and whatnot. Um, you could say the same with uh, Mayweather you know in terms of him handling his own career but generally, fighters don't have a clue. Um, any money they make is going to get spent on jewellery or cars or houses and stuff. They won't invest any of it. And, and like we say, these greedy people move in and, um, and make it very easy to, you know, to, to get money for themselves. 
I suppose it's one of those things. It's the promise of more money. You know, they're kind of those right. massive promises. Yeah. And, and, and we all and think we can, we all think we can fight forever and stuff like that. We all think, you know, never mind, there's always an X I mean, not me, I'm not on enough to even, you know, give up work or anything like that. But yeah, it is it's you don't think so far enough in the future to put some money down or I mean, it's not hard for someone like Mike Tyson. I remember watching an interview with Jay Cutler, who was Mr. Olympia. He said that every every time he won the Olympia, he bought a house and he'd rent his house out. Arnold Schwarzenegger used to do the same. He invested all his money into property and stuff like that. And if you've got, you know, excess of money, then you, you don't need the third Ferrari. You need to be putting money away and investing it and, and, and getting it managed by someone who you can trust. I think not on the exact same level, but do you remember uh, Brendan Rodgers used to manage Liverpool? Yeah. There was talk that he did the exact same thing, just constantly mm. buying houses, constantly buying yeah. them. That's right. That, that's right. And you say, even if you think of a normal job, my dad used to be a scaffolder. Um, I think retirement age now is 70 years old. How's my dad going to scaffold when he's 70 years old? You know, it's not, it can't, it, it can't happen. I can't, I won't be able to fight once I'm past kind of, well, if I'm very lucky, kind of 42-ish, something like that. If, and that is if you're really lucky. So you do, you want to, you want to put money away um, to help cushion that. And maybe you want to kind of dribble into coaching and whatnot. And that can be, you know, the, what, what you put your time into after your career. I think that's where a lot of fighters struggle. Even guys who aren't famous and whatnot, guys who have fought, journeymen even, you know, they've been fighting, you know, every weekend or every month and whatnot. And, and then when they can't fight anymore, they end up getting kind of stuck into drugs and alcohol and stuff just to, just to fill that kind of, um, just to fill the gap from fighting. You're definitely right about what you're saying. Like it's you do need a good bit of luck when you're fighting because mm. a lot of those body health, you know, the amount it of is, damage you take, injuries that you pick up, wee niggles that turn into something more serious. That that was that was for me why the cage warriors winning that belt was, was so important. It wasn't because oh my god, I'm closer to UFC now. It was you know I know guys who are who are twice the fighter of me who have, who have took nothing out of the sport because they got you know a bad knee injury or maybe they just. You know, the left hand was down at the wrong time and they got hit by an overhand right or whatever and they never was able to fight again or never felt confident enough to fight again. You know, for, for me, winning the cage or his belt was just like a relief. It was like, oh, thank God. Thank God I can say at least I took one thing out of the sport because you know, there's, there's people involved in this sport. I've got you know teammates at Nexon and whatnot who have, you know, I've got nothing but you know a dodgy knee and you know a little bit of a wounded ego because it didn't go their way. And these are guys, like I say, you would, who are a lot more talented than me, maybe even a little bit more dedicated than me, but just it's just the way it goes. Sometimes you're lucky and you can get the breaks, and sometimes you're absolutely not. Well, I said, no one can ever take that away from you, a world champion. Yeah, that's right. And it, I, I am pleased that I won. It was, you know, I, it, it was, like I say, it sounds a bit boring. And, you know, it, I'd love to be one of those guys who'd started crying and gone, oh my God, you know, I've accomplished my dream and this, this, and this. But it was more like a relief of, Thank God, you know, I can kind of have the, the weight of the world off my shoulders there. And, you know, if, if, if I don't win another fight, at least at least I've accomplished one thing that I can be really pleased with. Did you know as soon as that you, as soon as you sank the choke in, that was it done? I, ca- I can't remember. I, w- I was so exhausted. Um, after the fight, uh, we, there's, a, there's a nice uh, lady called Dolly Clue, who's the photographer. And she was like, lift up the belt so we can get a nice picture. And I couldn't even lift up the belt. The belt, the belt, to be fair, is like 10 kilo, but I was so exhausted. I just could not <laughs> lift up the belt. So it was a case of, again, like, thank God that's over. I remember the doctor rushing over 
And I remember saying to him, listen, I'm not hurt. I just need to sit down. And I just kind of slumped down and he, and he ended up leaving me alone. Uh, that was Chris Lamb, like the main the main cage where he's doctor. But I was so exhausted. I remember thinking I had a good chance of getting it because I, I, I think it was a short choke. It wasn't like a traditional rear naked choke. Um, but I think he did tap quite quick. I don't know whether he, he was exhausted as well, but you know he, he did tap quite quick. So it must have been reasonably tight, even though, like I say, I was, I was pretty exhausted. You know, my shoulders were tied as well, but it was enough. Did you see uh, the Brian Ortega fight with Volk? Uh, again, I've seen I've seen bits. I, I really need to get stuck into watching more MMA, but I, I know it kind of when the stats came up of how much damage he'd taken in terms of he took like two hundred shots or something like that, and that that was uh, that's a little bit scary when you see when you see that. And I, I think it's kind of as an onlooker, we go, "Oh, what a warrior! He took all those shots and he still kept forward. What a guy!" When really we might should really maybe take a step back and say. Do you know what? He, he needs to really work on his boxing defence and his head movement and stuff like that. Um, like I say, he's a warrior. He's very tough, but he, he's going to pay for all that toughness in you know 30 years' time, that's for sure. I think it was the fact that Volk, in my opinion, was clearly winning the fight, but it came mm-hmm. down to two real big moments, which was both from Ortega, which was the triangle, yeah. and I think one of them was the guillotine, and they were extremely yeah, tight. Right. And he's extremely good at putting them on as well, Ortega. I mean, that's okay. why he's called T City because of his triangle. Yeah, he's called T City because of his triangle. He's he's you no, know, he's, he's insane on the ground, Ortega. So for for Volinsky to to be able to manage and defend that, you know, he's he's done brilliantly. It was yeah, how fast that happened. Mm, well, that that's it, isn't it? That's that's the thing of this sport. This is the toughest part. You can, I mean, it, again, if we go back to the Frederick fight. You know, how would how would I have coped in the fifth round? I was I was knackered. I was I was done. You know, he might have. Got, I don't know if he'd finish me because no one's finished me by strikes. But you know, he, he would have butchered me that round. Maybe it would have been a 10-8 round in the fifth round. Um, I was I seemed to be on the decline, and Frederick seemed to be pretty consistent in in kind of how he felt and what his energy system was doing. So, like I say I was lucky enough. Where I was able to shove on that short choke, but. That's the great thing about my mate. That's why I'll keep watching because the fight's not done until it's done. Um, look at like Pat Barry versus Czech Congo. Czech Congo got oh, yeah, shot three times and then end up knocking out Pat Barry. So you just, that's why we keep, again, that's why we keep watching. It's so entertaining. What do you think about actual, not naming any judges, but the actual scoring of MMA? Because that's something that's got a lot of criticism recently and yeah. for a long time. It's, it's having people who don't really know know the sport. It's such like you're bringing people in who have, who have judged boxing, but you're not judging boxing. Yeah. I think in like an ideal world, you have judges who have who have had some kind of fighting experience, don't you? That that would that be great. Um, but yeah, I, I, in my career again, I've had I've had some ridiculous decisions. I fought again, and he's a nice kid. Um, another guy used to fight for next gen, Dylan McLaughlin. He's since moved on, but. I beat him over three rounds at one of the smaller shows. This was um, the fight before I actually went on Cage Warriors. And, and I clearly won that fight over three rounds. The commentators were, well, everybody, everybody thought I'd won and whatnot. And even the referee ended up lifting my hand up at the end by mistake. And because Dylan, Dylan got the got the win. Um, you do kind of look at the judges sometimes and, and think, what what are you what are you watching? Because you've not watched the same fight I've just I've just witnessed. Um, and then what, what I kind of what, what I always take a little bit of a disliking to is, is Dana White coming out and saying, yeah, but you, you know that's why you don't leave it to the judges' hands. And you think, well, I was I was trying to finish it, 
you know, I, I didn't I didn't want it to go to the three rounds. You know, I'm just fighting really good people actually. I'm fighting, you know, competent fighters. I'd love to finish every fight. I'd love to knock every fighter out, but it's just not the case. Um, there should be a capable staff of judges afterwards to judge the fight properly. That's that's what that's what you should be getting sorted out. And I know it's it's not its job, it's the commission's job, who supplies the referees and judges and whatnot, but no, it's it's the, the fighter's job to fight. He shouldn't be having to kind of push himself towards a finish just to appease, just just to make sure the judges don't make a critical mistake. I've said this a few times and it's one of those things, like if you take the, take the UFC, for example, you get, what is it, it's like 10 grand to show, 10 grand if you win. Something like that, yeah, if you're lucky. And you, you go in, your first fight, you've won over three rounds, it's went to decision, the decisions went against you. You've now lost 10 grand. That 10 yeah. grand, you're then, you have to pay your coaches, you have to pay your management. Yeah. You've then gotten taxed by America because that's where you're fighting. And then you're mm. probably coming out with about five or six for yourself. And then maybe you're maybe going to fight another time that year. Mm. Yeah, it's it's brutal. It is. I remember what, I was watching the Tony Bellew interview the other day, actually. Uh, he was getting interviewed by one of the guys off Made, Made in Chelsea or something like this. And Tony Bellew was speaking. He was like saying, you won't believe it, but I got paid. £15,000 for my first pro fight. And the guy was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. You're putting your life on the line. And you think, fucking hell, I wish I, I, wish I was getting, you know, I wish I was getting a quarter of that. Um, but yeah, it is, it's tough. And that's why I always say to people, listen, if you want to do MMA, you're not doing it for the money. You're not, you, you don't, don't come in the gym and say, I want to fight, um, I want to fight professional because I'll earn, you know, £5,000 your first professional fight, you're making well three, four hundred quid with a ticket deal if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's that. And if you don't want to do it, there's plenty of kids who will. Um, so that that's the reason why you want to get to the UFC. So maybe you have got that chance of making more money. But again, there's there's not many fighters who have this kind of fairy tale career. Um, I'm going to go to the UFC. I'm going to make tens of thousands of pounds and pick up loads of sponsors and it, it generally, you know, you want, you want to be very careful about that. Is you, you're that 1% if it does happen. Um, yeah. I think that's where a lot of people kind of fall off and and when they realise they're not going to become, you know, a multimillionaire you now in the next five years, it's uh, it's less appealing then. Would you say that the UFC is the best PAM promotion or do you think there's other promotions out there that are just as good, if not better? I think it's the best paid promotion once you get past a certain amount of fights, I think if you went to Bellator initially, you might get paid a little bit more. And then, but if you break it in, in the UFC, if you kind of break past, um, maybe you get past your first three or four fights on the contract, then the, the pay will be reasonably generous. Um, like Bellator, for instance, I think if you could go in a debut for Bellator and, and, and make, you know, four to fight, four to win, something like that, eight grand and, like I said, I don't, I, I don't think you probably would get that in UFC, maybe. But then again, I think if you win three or four fights in UFC, I think you'll be on a reasonable amount of money, enough, enough to kind of um, that be your full time profession. Where Bellator, if I think you'd won three or four, I'd still think you'd kind of be hovering around that kind of five to fight, five to win area. Um, so yeah, I, I do think the UFC probably. Probably do pay the best, and everyone wants. Let's face it, everyone wants to fight for the UFC, really. Um, yeah. The UFC's, you know, is the daddy. But I mean, I kind of PFL was on yesterday, and they're in a million dollars. You know, some of those guys. You know, the if you win, yeah, if you win the tournament, you get a million quid or a million dollars. So you know that that's that's pretty good. I don't know if Usman's getting a million quid to 
you know, to fight, you know, you know, next weekend or whatever it is. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe there will be some kind of organisation which will threaten the UFC at some point. But in terms of like my career, I'd love to fight for the UFC. That's still the goal for me. I think someone who has their head screwed on at the minute is uh, Sean O'Malley. Like, he does. He yeah, says a lot. He yeah. says a lot. Says a lot of wild stuff. Whatever. Yeah. But in terms of some of the interviews that he's done, he was talking about like fighter pay, and he says, "Listen." I'm still on, what, my second contract for the UFC. Yeah. So why am I going to fight someone who's really, really high up there for money that's not worth the same? When I can fight someone who I know is not as good as me and get paid the exact same? Paddy Pimlet said the same. They asked him about the Tony Ferguson fight very recently, and he said, listen, I'm not fighting Tony Ferguson for, for the money I'm on now. No, I'm fighting Tony Ferguson when I'm getting on. Oh, cat's there. I'm, I'm uh, standing on my head. <laughs> I'm fighting Tony Ferguson when, when I'm getting paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, which, like you, like you said, with Sean O'Malley, sensible. You know, if if the UFC are offering me fifty thousand pounds to fight, you know, uh, Adesanya or fifty thousand pounds to fight Frederick, I'm fighting Frederick. Um, you know, I'm not getting I'm not getting Hurricane kicked off Adesanya for for fifty grand when I can take Frederick down and and sub him instead. Yeah, no, you're you're hundred percent right. I think Paddy came across really well on his debut, like the the interview yeah. afterwards. Like, I'm not calling anybody out, but I'll tell you, I'm calling yeah. Instagram, you bunch of lizards. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of the walking catchphrase, isn't he? He was in this morning, Paddy. Um, he's off to November for kind of most of November. I think he's off to America, sorry, in November for most of most of the month. He's got big plans over there with the UFC and stuff like that. So, but good for him. And you kind of everyone who has been around Paddy for you know even the short amount of time I've been knew that. Once he if he if he if he fought the right fight and then got on the microphone afterwards, it was all gonna go a bit crazy for him. And that's exactly what's happened. He's a nice fellow though as well, actually. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Like yeah. I there's nothing yeah, I like more than hearing someone from the UK, Northern Ireland, Ireland doing well for themselves. That's great. Yeah. That's right. So I'll ask you about a couple more fights and then I'll I'll let you go because I kept you for quite a while. So the next one was Jan versus Sandy Hagen, but what did you actually think about Jan's last fight, like the illegal knee, and then that fight being rearranged and against Aljo, and then it just not happening? Yeah, that that was obviously Sterling did a did a great job of kind of pretending it was a fight ending situation, didn't he? I think even he knows no one, no one's kind of. I mean, to be fair, it was illegal. It was illegal, but. Um, I think most guys will play. I think Anthony Smith did it at one point against John Jones. I think John mm-hmm. Jones did something illegal, and then kind of Anthony Smith went, "No, I'm going to fight. No, I want to carry on." But if Anthony Smith had said no, he would have won the fight, won that extra hundred thousand pound, and and been the UFC champion. So, who's the fool? The guy who who kind of says, "No, I'm going to fight," or the guy who says, "Actually, this is a nice, easy way out of earning more money, getting UFC belt." getting loads more sponsors because I'm the UFC champion. So, yeah, I think, it, I mean, me personally, I probably would have just fought, but I, I can kind of see where Sterling's going from. And again, the crux of the thing is don't throw illegal strikes. You're the champion. You know the score. You know you know you can't throw any, a knee to a downed opponent. Just don't, don't, throw, don't throw illegal strikes and then you won't get penalised for it. I think from a fan's perspective, now I would say I like Jan, but I like him more because... I know people out of his team. So mm-hmm. like John Hutchinson and a few of the boys out of Tiger Muay Thai. So I'd say that's why I have a soft spot for him. But I would I say... I think he's a great fighter. 
Yeah, he's a great fighter. Yeah, great. And we, we, we're kind of, uh, the way Next Gen kind of operate is they'll, they'll sometimes pick a fight and work on what, what makes his fight great. And Peter Yan was one of those fighters that we, you know, we worked on and, you know, some of the tricks that he incorporates into his game. So, you know, he, in terms of fighting, he's, he's, he's brilliant. He just made a foolish mistake and he's paid for it. I think in terms of, from like an actual fan's perspective, it's it was the quick turnaround of Aljo. So, mm. You had in the ring, you know, where he's crying. He said, I don't want to win it like this. And all this. And you're like, okay, fair enough. That's fine. You were hitting a legal strike. That's grand. We're all happy with that. It's going to be run yeah. back. Then you have him on Instagram. I think it's a day later. And he's wearing like a fur coat. Belt dropped <laughs> over his shoulder. And he's just like, look at me now. You know what I mean? That's... It is. I guess I guess if he'd kind of disappeared off social media for a little bit and played a little bit cool, we'd all be a bit more sympathetic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He's he's just opened himself up for a lot of criticism, hasn't he? Um, there are more eyes on him, yeah. And and Peter Yan was obviously was probably the better fighter. But we'll see. Uh, you know, sooner or later, those guys depends what happens with Sandegan and Yan, I suppose. But those guys, I'm sure Yan and Sterling will run it back at some point, and that can kind of put that to bed. But yeah, I, I kind of as a fan, you think just bloody carry on the fight, and you're a fighter, you're supposed to fight. But then the the kind of part of me that no, it, it can be a bit sympathetic to, like you say, he's going to earn 100,000 quid more, going to get the belt, he's going to get more opportunities. It's not as maybe cut and dry as maybe we all first think. If we're in the situation to kind of say, say if, uh, for instance, you know, you're, you're, you're working and your boss rings up and you say, actually, I feel really ill today. And he says, all right, Sam, but if you're ill, I'm still going to pay you your full wage. You're, probably, you're still going to probably take the day off, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he should, like I say, as a fan, it's easy to say he should fight, but I can kind of, kind of see where he's come from, even if I wouldn't have done it myself. Of course, I think the fight that Jan has at the minute is actually, I think personally, is a harder fight mm. for him. Um, yeah, just so because Sa- Sandy against a big boy, like he is a big boy for that weight class. Yeah. He's like a head higher, isn't he, than 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 Jan? He, I think he's, he's, he's five ten. He's five ten. He's big. Like he's very long. He's 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 really good as well I mean, he's a beast so that's that's going to be a cracking fight I, I, I'd probably do again that's like the Gates and Chandler fight in terms of prediction but I'd probably see Petty Yan maybe winning that um, but again if, if, if I wake up in the morning and you know check the internet and, and Corey Sandhagen won that wouldn't surprise me either yeah, I think that's that's part of the problem with, with living in the UK. It's yeah. say the fights five a.m. and yeah. six a.m. for a main event. That's there. Yeah. That's like you wake it up is. and your eyes your eyes are bloodshot. It is, and I just I can't. I work weekends now. You know, I'm I'm in the gym doing one to ones and stuff. So if I'm up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, I I'm toasted for the rest of the day. So yeah, I'm kind of I'll wake up and and check out the results and whatnot. And if there's like a spectacular fight, I'll see if I can catch it at some point. But even I even, uh, catch up on the Dana White Contender Series. That's why it's fun on a Wednesday to catch up with that. But, um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Unless, again, unless someone from Next Gen was fighting, I'd probably wake up for that. Well, I would wake up for that. You know, Paddy or Molly or something, they were fighting in Vegas. I'd definitely get up for that. But anyone else, and I'm uh, I'm staying nice and snug that's in it. bed. Yep, staying up for the teammates. Everyone else mm. can do one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> The last thing I'm going to ask you about is Islam versus Dan Hooker. Oh, I think we all know what's going to happen in this fight, don't we? Uh, I think Islam's going to dominate. 
And I, but I have a bit of a soft spot for Dan Hooker, to be fair. And that's not to say, you know, he's not dangerous and he throws up, you know, a crazy kick or punch or something. But I think we're probably going to see a masterclass from Islam. He's just going to Khabib-style smash him, you know, for... Is it, will it be a three-round or a five-rounder? It'd be a three, I suppose. I, I would say it's a three because it's the third card yeah. on it. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, yeah, I do. I mean, the three-rounder might suit Hooker more, actually, but... Uh, in terms of he might just go balls out and, and try and, I say, knock him out. But I do think we're probably going to see kind of the new Khabib, aren't we, in, in Islam? And he's going to possibly dominate the division for, for a good few years. But it's, uh, I really like Dan Hooker. He's, he's kind of the anti-Sterling, isn't he? He'll take any fight at any time. He's super tough. Um, uh, but again, but if, we, if we look, it's not done his career any good, being being tough and being resilient and stuff. He's had, had a win, had a loss, had a win, had a loss. It's kind of like the Donald Cerrone effect where they don't really seem to be able to to string that three, four fights together um, at the top level, you know, the, the, the upper end of the division. So, yeah, I kind of, again, I'd, I'd love Dan Hooker to win just because he's game and he's, you know, he's, he puts on fantastic fights. But I think um, I think we'll see, see Islam winning that. Well... Just on that, like that's the name I was thinking of when you when you were talking about him was Cowboy. Do you mm. think if Cowboy in his prime had been a lot more sensible with who he fought? Obviously, he wouldn't have been as well liked as he is yeah. if he had a pick and choose. But do you think he would have been champion? I think he would have been a, a real kind of number one contender in the division because his jiu-jitsu was great. We all know his striking was fantastic as well. Uh, I don't think it did any good kind of going up and down to lightweight and welterweight. Um, I know he had, uh, he had like a, um, a crash, didn't he? And it kind of messed up his, was it appendix or something like that, or his intestines? And that kind of had, obviously had a detrimental effect on on cutting weight and stuff. Um, but yeah, possibly. But again, you know, he had, he, has, he had a farm, he had bills to pay and stuff like that. So, you know, he wanted to keep busy just so he could, you know, bring in a good wedge of money. But yeah, maybe if he's got a manager behind him who says, listen, we're going to we're gonna take it a little bit easy. We're going to play the long game and we're going to pick the right fights and we're going to, you know, we're not going to rush. We're not going to fight three times every, you know, two months. Maybe, maybe you're kind of writing what you're hitting at. Maybe he will, maybe he would have got a little bit farther than he did. But I mean, he's still a legend of sport, mind. He's still accomplished more than 99.9% of MMA fighters. But maybe, yeah, he could have been, maybe he could have been a champion. Did you ever listen to his uh, podcast with Joe Rogan and he talked about being trapped in the cave? No, I don't think I, I don't think I saw that. Give that a listen when you finish this. He, he talks about um going diving, and he went with right, one of his okay. friends and his his I think it's it was either his wife. It, it's his current. I don't know if he's married. I think he might be. Um, but anyway, it was his, his wife was like basically like I don't really want you to go down. This guy's not safe. And obviously, everyone knows that Cerrone is in the mod mod sure. things. It's like all yeah, X game yeah. stuff. Yeah. But like he went into the sea and he started like diving in this cave, which was pitch black, and something happened where the guy got lost and they all got lost, and the guy started to freak out and flicked up all the sand, you know, so it went all like murky. And like he mm. says, like he thought honestly thought that he wasn't coming home to see his kid. Mm. But honestly, watch it, see the way he tells the story. It's absolutely fantastic. And you have to let me know what you think about it. Yeah, I definitely will. I definitely will. Yeah, but thank you very I much for everything. That hits quite a lot of kind of um, you know being in the dark, being underwater, and, and kind of not being able to see. That like, it's all the kind of the nasty things that we as humans don't don't like, and it? it's that's hitting all the the instincts of, you know, I'm going to die and I'm in, I'm in a dangerous position. I remember listening to um, a woman once who who 
got um, got attacked by a crocodile, and the crocodile's done the croc roll, you know, rolled around. Um, she's gone unconscious, and then she's woke up in this like crocodile den. Oh my ass! And she's like, where the where the where am I? And then you know, obviously, she sees kind of like animal bones and stuff around her and stuff and you think that is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone but I don't know, she must have made it out because you told the story but it's yeah. pretty grim. Mm. yeah I think it was like I, I wouldn't know anything about cave diving from but what I sort of gathered from that interview it's like when they're going through like they track like small ropes like right, so okay. you know like, they, they can follow it around yeah. but whenever this guy started to freak out he got the ropes all tangled and stuff and like he, he didn't know whether he was up or down just because he got so disorientated sure. and like just listening to his story like it was it was scary to see like him doing it but I'm sure he's done that again yeah oh yeah he is he's, he's a madman isn't he yeah you do it he'll probably end up kind of dying because his parachute doesn't come out or something at some point or something but I mean you know he's obviously an adrenaline junk and he enjoys all that but and good luck to him you know he's 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 fought his fought his out alpha. 10, 15 years. Has he actually officially retired? I'm not sure. I don't know if he's officially yeah, retired. I've seen him sure on Instagram about two minutes ago. Or not two minutes ago, yeah, before this started. He was he's, he was training at some gym, but it was more from like a coach's perspective. He came just to roll yeah, okay. and he ended up coaching a class and he started saying that he's enjoying coaching and stuff. So, I don't know. Go into coaching and, and kind of find the passion in that instead. But, I mean, he's had a great career. But he'll go down in the UFC Hall of Fame anyway, so... You know, he's done he's done really well. 100 percent Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been great talking to you. We'll have to get you on again and do this. It was good. Sure. That that sounds good. I'll get my uh, get my opponent kind of uh set up and announced, and maybe we'll we'll jump back on have a before or after the fight. It'd be good. Oh, 100 percent mate. 100 percent Wish you the best of luck. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Thanks very much.